Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting His kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m., followed by a second service at 10.45 a.m. Today's message is Assurance of Salvation. Here's Pastor Philip Thomas. Uh, so we're, we are now in, into the book of Hebrews, and we're at the part in Hebrews where uh, a, a lot of people, they may not know that it necessarily comes from Hebrews, but they know about the controversy and things like that that, that this passage brings. And that's dealing with uh, the term, the theological term is apostasy. And everybody, anybody heard of that term, apostasy? Basically, mean, it means falling away. Very simply, it means can you lose your salvation, right? That's, that's how we have uh, uh, boiled it down. Um, I, I don't, you know, anytime you talk about things like this, people a lot of times have very strong opinions and things that they grew up hearing, things like that. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. That's not the design here. It's more looking, well, what does this say you know, because and, and sometimes we get really uh, off track if we're not if we're not careful. And uh, and I think this is one of those passages that that has kind of taken on a life of its own. And so we're going to kind of step back and really look into it. I think in order to really understand it and to know it, we have to know be reminded of what's been going on through the book of Hebrews. Why was this letter written? Remember, this is, this is a letter that is written to a group of people that have a Jewish background. They are also, of course, Christians. Some of them uh, were Jewish and, uh, and have converted to Christianity. Some were just familiar with, the, they were probably Gentiles, but they were familiar with uh, the Jewish faith. Um, and now things are starting to change. There's starting to be some persecution. Um, many times now, it's used to, you could be a Christian and still worship with the Jewish people. That is, that is changing now. So families are being divided. You know, if, 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 the, if it's a strong Jewish family and the son or the daughter comes up and says, dad, I've decided to follow Jesus, they would say, all right, that's great, but you're no longer part of this family. That's how it would go with some. Now, not all that's, you know, but that was happening. So it's becoming very difficult. There's starting to be persecution um, within the uh, Roman Empire. Uh, people are being persecuted because of their faith. So you can imagine this is becoming a difficult thing. And they're kind of people are wondering what's going on. You know, how do we hold on to this? How do we respond? How do we act? It's also important to remember that Hebrews is basically a sermon, right? It's an encouraging letter. It's uh, the term that you'll, you'll hear in theological circles is it's an exhortation, right? So it's an encouragement to the people. So they would be reading this letter and they would be hearing it as a sermon, all right? So that's, that's just important because there's different ways that we go about encouraging other, other people, right? And, and that comes out, especially in this passage. So what, where we're going to be is, is Hebrews chapter uh, six, we're actually going to be, uh, start off in, uh, uh, chapter five, but I want to do just a, a little bit. The controversial passage, um, is, is there in, in verse six. And it, it basically talks about that, you know, being, being falling away. And that if you fall away, you cannot 
be received uh, by God again, right? That's, that's the summary of it. Here's how people have kind of taken this controversy, if you will, or the, the way of looking at this. Many have gone the way of, of using the term, and uh, you may have grown up uh, this way. Uh, I know I've always grown up with this phrase, once saved, always saved, right? Who, who's familiar with that, that term, all right? Okay, I, I will just lay it out there. That is generally what I believe, okay, right? I, I don't think you can just randomly lose your salvation, that you can just walk it along one day and go, oh, I'm no longer saved, all right? There is a negative to just saying once saved, always saved. Because what does that mean? If you because we so so many times we like to go to the lowest common denominator of things. So okay, once saved, always saved. Well, that means if whenever I was five years old, I said I believed in Jesus and I got baptized, I'm good. I can do whatever I want from now on. Yeah, you know, I need to go ahead and make sure I say I'm sorry and and I you know I need to feel bad about it. Uh, but but hey. I'm, I'm in, I really don't have anything to worry about, right? Is that really the way that God would want us to be living our life? Of course not, right? So that's the extreme on one end, and, uh, and that sometimes we have gone to, right? The extreme on the other end is that you can lose your salvation. And listen, in this one passage, there's evidence, it's like, oh, it, it could be. Right, but of course we need to take all of Scripture. But in this passage, there's you can definitely make a case. And so some have gone to the extreme on the other end. There are those who believe. I have had conversations with those who believe. If as I'm leaving today, and and uh, and we'll we'll pick on Tim because we do whether he's here or not. So so and and I said something hateful and ugly and rude to Tim. That was legitimately rude, and I did it in order just to hurt him, right? Well, that would be, that's, that's a sin, right? You shouldn't do that. And then I walk outside, and I trip over the curb and get run over by a car, right? This is a pretty extreme example. But there are those who would believe I would go to hell. Because I sinned, and I had not repented for that sin, and some would use this passage to justify that. There are people that are living their life in terrible fear, wondering if they are still saved. Because they recognize, you know what, I still sin. So if I still sin and I can lose my salvation, maybe I'm not saved. I don't think either one of those extremes are the way that God would want us to be living our life, all right? But unfortunately, the way that we look at passages like this is we, we, tr- we bring out the extreme. And, you know, and we'll, we'll use those, uh, those <laughs> crazy examples. Well, if, you know, if, if you were there and they were fixing to light the bonfire and burn you alive and all, they said all you have to do is say that you don't believe, you know, and, and if you did that, would, uh, would you lose your salvation? It's like, well... You know, most of us aren't fixing to get burned at the stake, right? Why do we use these really crazy examples, okay, 
Now, we can still use it to, to discuss and things like that, but we've got to be really careful with passages like this. And so I, I want to get into this. And one thing that many times we do is we start reading a passage already with some preconceived notions that sometimes take us in ways it shouldn't. Here are two with this passage. Uh, the first that I want us to try to, to, to set aside from our mindset. I'm getting more and more where I do not like the subtitles and even sometimes the chapters and verses in the Bible. Now, before you get all upset and say, what are you talking about? One, those are not divinely inspired, all right? Those were added later. I know that may be a shock, but the chapters and verses were added later by people that were trying to make it where we could find things easier. Those are okay, but the things that I really don't like are whenever there's titles like this. If you look in chapter 5, starting in verse 11, nearly every Bible that I've seen will have a title. This one says, warning against falling away. All right, so if you read that as the title and then you start reading everything else, the only thing that you're thinking about is, well, where's the warning? And how do I make sure I'm on the right side of not falling away? Right? Do you see how that title, which is not in Scripture, <laughs> that is something that people have added later, that title makes you read all of this only thinking about the issue of falling away, right? There is the issue of falling away, but that is not the point, and that is not the main part of this passage. We have made it the main part. I'm not saying it's not something we shouldn't look at, but it is not the main thing of this passage. But because of that title, it becomes the high point, right? Uh, Two, and we've talked about this, and I don't, I don't want to spend uh, a ton of time here, but one of the things that we have done is whenever we talk about salvation, what we tend to have focused on is what happens when we die, right? That we define salvation as only what happens after our heart quits beating here on earth. And so where do we go? Do we go to heaven or do we go to hell? That is an aspect of salvation, but most of the Bible is talking about experiencing salvation while you're here, right? That salvation is something that starts right away, and it's something that we experience throughout our lifetime. In fact, if you look at salvation through the eyes of people who are Jewish, there is a very small emphasis on the afterlife. Most of the emphasis is on the here and now, right? So if we come into this passage thinking it's only about falling away, and so then by definition, because we think of salvation as only what happens when we die, then that's, that colors everything that this passage brings. I want us just to step away from those two presuppositions. I want us to just hear these words, and, I, and maybe we can hear something a little bit more encouraging, right? Rather than just sucking us into this hole of saying, oh, this is, let's just argue about can or can you not lose your salvation. All right, so starting in verse 5, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this 
but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's the introductory part. What, what is clearly being talked about here? Maturing, right? Moving on from the basic understanding uh, and belief in Jesus to righteousness. Righteousness means right living, how you're applying that to your life. That is the main point, right? That's how this starts off, right? Then it goes, therefore. So, see, that, that's a, a very clear indicator, okay? We're talking about maturity, moving from milk to solid food. So therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Again, so he's saying all of these are the elementary teachings. These are the basic things that you've, you've probably experienced, you've talked about before. We're moving on. Right? It says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often, uh, rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessings of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless as an, in, as an in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Okay, so that, that's the big passage, right? That it is impossible for those who have experienced all this stuff to then to, to find repentance if they have fallen away. But then it continues on and it uses this example of the crops, uh, the rain coming and the ground producing crops or producing thistles. We've heard that before throughout scripture, right? Again, we're talking about your life, how you're living your life, maturing, right? The focus here is not on whether you lose your salvation or not. Then it continues. Even though we speak like this, so, so he, he, the writer recognizes, this is, this is pretty in your face, right? This is intense. I mean, he's saying you're not mature enough. You need to continue to mature. It is not good if you're not maturing. He says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. So he's saying this doesn't really apply to you. We know that you are going to be moving forward. Even though you're a little immature here, we know you're going to be moving forward says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promises to Abraham, there was no one greater for him to swear by, so he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what it is said and puts to an end all argument. 
because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope he offered us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All right. So there's, there's so much going on here. The one thing that we do a horrible job of, and pastors are guilty of this, is that because that's a lot to read, we like to break things down a little bit more. And frankly, we like to get more sermons out of it, right? And so you say, well, we'll preach on chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 today, because you could make a whole sermon out of that. And then you could go chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then 4 through 8. And you could make this a whole month on one chapter if you wanted to. Right? The problem with doing that is we start treating all these individual verses and we forget about context. Not only is it dangerous if we treat this verse out of context from what else is going on in Hebrews, but we also have to remember there's the rest of Scripture that speaks as well. Right? And so what... What do you do if, if you start going down this passage saying, man, look at this. This really seems like be, these are people who have experienced Christ, who have, who have been part of the church. And so now they're not. And it's saying that they can never experience repentance again. And it even uses words that they're crucifying Christ all over again. That's pretty harsh stuff. And I'm not saying it's not. It's in your face. But then, and so we can start going down that hole. Well, Man, that must mean that every time that I sin, I'm crucifying Christ all over again. And maybe I'm losing my salvation. Then what do we do with those passages that says nothing can separate you from the love of God? Right? What do we do with the bulk of the scriptures that is talking about the great lengths that God went through in order to show you how much he loves you? It's because we're focusing on the wrong thing. See, the writer here is encouraging. He knows people are struggling right now. He knows that this is kind of an immature group and that they need to be maturing in Christ. And so he's encouraging them to do that. And he's encouraging them and saying, man, if you're not moving forward, if you're not applying what you believe and applying it to your life, you're missing out and you're not experiencing salvation the way that God wants you to experience salvation, right? And he uses some very graphic language to kind of waking people up, saying, listen, wake up. You know, and there are those, I, you probably know them. There are those people who have gone to church, who have been engaged, who have gone through all the right things and then eventually they just kind of fall away. They quit coming. No longer are they engaged anymore. Right? The writer knows this is a reality. And he's saying, man, don't let that happen to you. Don't allow that to become who you are. And the reason that happens, the reason that we can fall away is because we stay as infants and we don't mature 
and we don't start applying what we learn about God to our lives. But one thing is very clear in this passage and throughout all of Scripture. I I will leave the door open because whenever in this passage someone may say, no, it clearly says that you can lose your salvation. If that is the case, guess what? You know that you've lost salvation because you have said, I don't want it anymore. Right? This is a passage that it clearly is a decision that someone made, that they were going to church, they were participating in everything. They, they may have even been baptized, right? But then they make a decision and they say, you know what? That's not for me anymore. I don't want it. I don't want to live up to what's required. I don't want to actually apply godly principles to my life. Yeah, it was great when all we did was sing really good songs and I got all those fuzzies inside of me. And it was really great to think that, oh yeah, you know what? No matter what happens, God's always going to be with me. But then whenever they started talking about how I needed to change my life, how I needed to treat my enemies with love, how I needed to not be a jerk all the time, you know, how I needed to actually show love in all that I did, how I needed to be patient, how I needed to be kind. Man, that stuff was for the birds, right? Said, I don't want any of that. And so I'm done. I'm walking away, all right? I don't know. Maybe that person can lose your salvation. And then, of course, we quickly go to, well, did they ever really have it? And I would say, well, probably not, right? But it, do you see how we get into the argument that just takes us away from the point? The point of this is how important it is for us to be maturing in Christ, becoming more like him, knowing that we're not going to do that perfectly, and also knowing that it's, it's hard to do, right? There, it, it talks about, it says, we do not want you to become lazy, <laughs> right? But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised, right? He knows that it can be difficult to continue to mature. And there's going to be times that we settle for milk instead of solid food. But he's saying, no, try to persevere. Keep moving forward. And then he goes in and he talks about God being uh, faithful to Abraham and swearing uh, on himself. But now he doesn't have to swear on himself because why? Jesus came. And what does Jesus do? Is he becomes an anchor for our souls. See, as we mature, we start to realize, no, Jesus is that anchor for our soul. That's where our assurance of salvation lies. Our assurance of salvation doesn't lie in any of our understanding, any of, any of that stuff. Our assurance lies in who Jesus is, what he's done for us. And if we are striving each and every day to try to become more like him, guess what? Our assurance. We are are completely made whole in him. And he becomes that anchor for our soul. I think you can actually make the case that the more we mature in Christ, the less we even think about the question of can you lose your salvation? Right? Because we don't even care. We say, no, we are anchored to the one who has given us new life. He becomes the anchor to our soul. 
And you know, whenever an anchor is, is used, an anchor, that line is not tight on the anchor. There is give, right? So when the storms come, the boat can move around a little bit, but it doesn't lose its footing and get smashed into the rocks, right? Our life, there's going to be times where we get rocked around and sometimes things aren't going really well. And sometimes we're actually doing things that we know we shouldn't. And what happens? We start wondering, well, man, I I know what the truth is, but look at what's happening and all this bad stuff. I'm not doing what I should do. Maybe I'm losing my salvation. No, because the anchor is still secure. It's just a storm. And then you're going to need to make the choice. Are you going to continue to battle through the storm? Or are you going to walk away and give up? Right? And if you walk away and give up, then I, I don't know what that means. Right? But if you don't, there's nothing to worry about. There is nothing that you can do where God will let you out of his hands. Nothing. At the very best, this passage indicates that if you want to, you can choose to turn your back on God. But that's not because he's letting you go. It's because you chose to say, you know what, maybe I never believed it before. I think this passage does so much about emphasizing not that we can lose our salvation. It's emphasizing the importance of living out our salvation each and every day. That our salvation is more than just what we believe, kind of the basics of what we believe, but it's about how we're applying those to every day of our life. That it becomes that this is how we live our life in Christ. And we can have an assurance that he is never going to let us go. That he is going to be our anchor through the storms of life, through the ups and downs. He's going to be our anchor whenever we're acting like infants or whenever we're maturing to eating the solid food. But he will be our anchor for our soul. And we can have that assurance each and every day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for the assurance that we have in you. We thank you that you are a God who provides the anchor for our soul so that no matter what may happen, we may know that we are safe and secure in you. And Lord, I pray that we will choose to grow closer to you each and every day, to mature in you, to move on from drinking milk and move to eating the solid food so that we live our lives for you each and every day. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us and for securing us in your presence. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.